out there in podcast land. You have such a job once again to combat sports with Rhino. Episode 200. Yay! Woo! Woo! We made an APB. All right, before I get a little bit too far into it, we want to let you know who our guest is today. And Oh, it's an awesome one. Head coach of the New England Cartel, the big dog over at Top Game Management. We got Tyson Chartier in the house. It is awesome. I can't wait for you guys to check that one out. He is so insightful as far as like some of the other aspects of the MMA game at the highest level. What a great guy to talk to. So our intro and our schedule is as follows. Well, like I said, we made it to 200 fam. We're about four years in and what a ride it's been. Obviously, I want to give some huge thank yous to everyone who's ever been involved with the show, especially those who worked on it with me, going all the way back to Bailey, of course, to Dre, the future player, Dave Fretz, D. Reigns, the best engineer in the biz, the filthy casual who's filled in on several occasions at a banger job, Jay, our newer graphic designer, who's awesome, and of course, APB, my co-host with the Mohost, one of my bestest friends in the world. It is a pleasure doing this show with you week in and week out, my friend. Same. Love it. So this <laughs> episode is going to have a major Rhino Gang roundup. Yeah! <laughs> from both Bellator 301 and then one fight from the LFA 172. Our full UFC um, Vegas 82 recap. Drop of the night. Some fire Q&A's. Remember the Rhino Gang. They really brought it this week, APB. And then obviously yeah, the aforementioned. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones too. Yeah. <clears throat> and then head coach from the New England Cartel, the aforementioned. Former MMA coach of the year, by the way. Tyson Chartier is here. It's just, it's so good. I can't wait for you guys to check that one out. So, without further ado, for the 200th time, let's go ahead and get our swim trunks and our flippy floppies on and dive right in. So, from the LFA 172 in Phoenix, Arizona, on UFC Fight Pass on Friday night, we had our man Cody Davis, Rhino Gang, fighting for the 125-pound title of the LFA. He ran into Eduardo Henrique who got the TKO, I believe it was in the fourth round. So, Cody Davis, chin up, man. You're going to be a, a real real player at 125. A few more fights, dude. We know you're going to see you, um, you know, doing great things, dude. So, chin up, dude. You're going to be awesome. All right. So, let's get into Bellator 301. We had a whole bevy of Rhino Gang fighters, starting with our most one of our most recent guests. Cody Law beat Jefferson Pontez by unanimous decision. Moving into our guy at 155, Archie King Colgan. Beat Pieter Buist by UD in that one. Unfortunately, our girl Sumiko Anaba lost by unanimous decision to Denise Kielholtz. Our guy Sydney Outlaw lost to AJ McKee Jr., who is a very good fighter by unanimous decision. And then one of our main mans, Rafael Superstats, beat Danny Sabatello not once. This is for the second time in their blood feud uh, by unanimous decision at 135. And then in the co-main event, Patchy Mix got the rear naked choke over Sergio Pettis in the second. And then finally, the main event, um, also for the belt at 170, was Jaroslav Amazov and Jason Jackson. Jason Jackson got the TKO in the third. Some might call that a big upset. I don't because I've seen Jason Jackson fight. Really good fighter. Really fun card at 301 for Bellator. They did a good job. But once again, APB left much to be desired on the promotion of the event. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people who have no problem promoting their events, the UFC Vegas 82. <clears throat> and again, on paper, APB, this was not the sexiest card of all time. And it's really hard when you're coming off of an incredible pay-per-view like we had last weekend, right? Yes. Last so, was great. Yeah. So, it's really hard to kind of, you know, to meet that or, you know, even come close to it. So, well, I'm just gonna... I mean, they didn't. They didn't even try to to make it near as good as the last one was. Anyway, just by the card itself, you know. Sure, and then obviously fight nights are never what pay per views are, but there were some decent fights on the old card. So we'll go ahead and I'm just gonna give the results of the prelims real quick. Um, Charles Energy Johnson lost to Rafael Esteban by unanimous decision at 125. Nicholas Mota and Trey Ogden went to a no contest. After a premature stoppage by the referee. Oh, uh, I, I didn't know. see. I didn't see any of the prelims, so I don't know about any of this. So then Take at 135, off. Lucy Poldova lost to Alan Perez by UD. And then Alin Perez, um, I don't know if you saw the, the, the tweet of it, but she kind of put her feet up on the cage and kind of did some stripper moves, like shaking her butt and like. I perking. saw some clips of that one. <laughs> I did see some clips of that one. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody should have been out there like 
making it rain on it because I mean <laughs> it was pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it was. was pretty impressive. I can't do that. So fuck. <laughs> uh, so moving into one forty five. Um is it Jaka Saraji versus Lucas Alexander? Jaka got the TKO in the first round with a nice right hook. I hope I'm saying that right. J E K A, I believe it's Jeka. Jaka. Um, whatever. I don't know. So then we're going to 265. We had Mitch Parkin beating Kyle Machado by unanimous decision in that one. Then as far as our next fight, uh, a Rhino Gang fighter, Chad Ann Helliger, lost to Jose Johnson by submission in the third. And it was late because it was a good back-and-forth fight. And that could, fight could have gone either way. And then um, Jose Johnson got the late sub, which was a really nice win for him. Moving into our next Rhino Gang fighter, and unfortunately... This one was bad timing because Jonathan Pierce was fighting Drew Anderson Brito, and Jonathan had a great, you know, first few minutes. He was holding him down. He was grinding upon him. He was doing a good job. And then he was talking shit to Joe Anderson, and he was like, get up, man, get up. He's got a real deep southern accent from Tennessee, you know. And he's <laughs> like, get up, man. What are you going to do? Do something. Get up. Well, Joe Anderson got up. Dude. <laughs> he fucking, um, he heard Jonathan Pierce. They slapped on a ninja choke, and he tapped about, and wow, really impressive at a bad time because then, of course, everybody on Twitter had a field day with me. You know what I mean? He told me to get up, and I took that personally or whatever. It's like a lot of really funny memes. I'm sure Jonathan Pierce has a great sense of humor, gets it, and he's on board with it. All right. Unfortunately, our guy Johnny Parsons didn't get to fight last night. I don't know exactly when that happened or what took place, but Johnny was out. So he was replaced by Myrtleback Oralby. Versus Euros Medic, and they had a good fight. And Oral B got the submission in the second round. Um, <laughs> funny because that dude, he, he was like four days' notice, and he came in and there'd be a very tough fight at Euros Medic. So, like, kudos to him. He's really a 155er, but he fought that one at 170 because it was such short notice. So, kudos to him. All right, let's get into our main card. We had Amanda Hibas with the TKO over Luana Pinero. And, like, it was so funny. It's one of those deals, APB, where it was a tale of each round was a different fight. You know what I mean? Like, the first round, Luana Pinero was piecing up Reebok. She was lumping up her face. She was landing much harder. And I think maybe she got tired. Because in the second, Hebos was the aggressor. Hebos was the one landing more shots, landing beautiful combinations, finding her range, being far more aggressive. <clears throat> in the third round, Pinero got the takedown, but they got back up pretty quick. Um, and then Amanda Rebos throws this spinning wheel kick which hits Luana Pinero right in the face, <laughs> hurts her bad, lands a couple more shots, puts her on the ground, and, and gets the TKO in the third round. Like, Amanda Hebots was not going to play to the narrative of 115-pounders don't have power because that spinning wheel kick would have put anybody on skates. And what amazing finish for her. TKO in the third round for Amanda Hebots. All right. Moving into our next round of game fight, we have Peyton Talbot versus Nick, um, is it Ag Aguilar? I always say Aguiar, but I have no idea how you say it. I'm going to say Aguiar because I think that's how they were saying it last night. But, yeah, dude. So, like, Nick got a takedown right away, put Peyton on his back almost the entire first round. Because, you know, Peyton's a great striker, and Nick didn't want any part of that. And then in the second, uh, Peyton got on top, opened up some with some beautiful elbows, opened up a big cut on Nick's head. In the third round, dude, Peyton landed a beautiful couple body kicks. It really hurt Nick. Then he, like, he used some beautiful takedown defense, reversed Nick over, put the rear naked choke on him, submission to the third round for our guy early for our guy Peyton Talbot. Beautiful win for him at 135 pounds. So big ups to Peyton Talbot. All right. Moving into Chase Hooper versus Jordan Levitt. This one didn't last long, APB, for what it did, though. It was, it was fun, fun while it lasted. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched this one. We complain all the time about how there's too many fighters in the UFC who, like, once there's a takedown, they just rest or they lay and pray or they don't move. Or they're not trying to get out of it. This was not the case. Chase nope. Hooper and Jordan Levitt were scrambling all over the canvas, dude, reversing each other, both going for leg locks and arm bars and chokes. It was beautiful to watch while it lasted. And then finally, one of the later scrambles, Chase gets around, gets on Jordan's back, puts on the rear naked choke. Against the submission in the first round again, it felt longer than it was because there was so many submission attempts and so much scrambling. So big ups to Jordan Levitt, but yeah, Chase Hooper gets the rear naked choke in that one at 155. He's starting to fill out a little bit. He's mm -hmm. not looking like the same skinny little dork. Yeah, he looks known. like a little man now. He's a like tall like, little man. He's like 23 now, so he's you know he started to fill out a little bit, look like a look like a grown adult fighting. <laughs> you know what I mean? So let's move into our co-main event, which is Michael Morales versus Jake Matthews. I did not love this fight, and here's why. 
Jake Matthews has been around a long time, and I expect him to know what to do in whatever situation he finds himself in. Michael Morales was really keeping it basic. He was landing a beautiful jab. He was sticking, moving, throws a few leg kicks. But he was absolutely keeping Jake on the end of his punches, and Jake seemed like he wasn't sure where to go or what to do. He was trying to throw in some really aggressive stuff here and there, kind of like almost out of panic. But Michael Morales really dominated this fight. Uh, both of them got <laughs> – it's one of those deals where, you know, in pro wrestling, they call it a receipt. So, like, Morales um, got kicked in the nuts pretty hard by Jake and then not too there long after kicked Jake in the nuts. <laughs> so, like, the receipt was given very quickly after it was earned. So, yeah. But, yeah, Michael Morales really, really dominated that fight, got the UD, uh, and that went over Jake Matthews. And then moving into what was one of the most fun fights on the entire car, which doesn't always happen – with your main event, but my gosh, Paul Craig at 185 and Brendan all in Allen. Holy shit. You don't say holy shit much when it's like almost all on the ground. But this really was a case where it yeah. was so fun and entertaining on the ground. <clears throat> Paul Craig initiated the clinch like right away. Uh, Brendan had a nice judo throw right into half guard, did some work from there. In the second, both guys landed really hard punches early. Uh, they go to the ground. Allen gets on top. Some nice GMP elbows. Moving into the third round, they go back down again. They both tried um, leg lock attempts. They both tried lots of submissions. But in the end, Brendan Allen, I think, his ground and pound hurt Paul Craig enough to where he was able to slide in and get that rear naked choke, put on, on him, put him, make him tap. Incredible performance by Brendan Allen getting the rear naked choke submission over a very good jujitsu practitioner like Paul Craig. So, Big win for Brendan Allen, who's certainly going to move up the ladder from 10, probably to 6 or 7. Um, Paul Craig's going to have to slide down a little bit. We do have a question about that when we get into the Q&A session. So, again, I would give that card a C plus. It wasn't great. wasn't bad. It was okay. I don't know. What were your thoughts on it, APB? Well, like I said, I didn't see all of it. Um, what I saw, I was entertained by. But, yeah, it wasn't anything that, you know, made me jump up and down and scream. But it, I was entertained. So, yeah, see, that's good. Are you not entertained? <laughs> so let's go ahead and get our job of the night. I'm going with Amanda Hebos, dude. That wheel kick to punches. Amanda Hebos gets my drop of the night. A rare female winner of our drop of the night, which is awesome. So who do you have this this time, APB? I'll go with her also because she's the only drop I saw. So, yeah. And then, like you said, females need to win the drop. So let's give it to her. You got it. All right, let's go ahead and do some Q&A with some members of the Rhino gang. Our first one comes from our homie, Bionic Dean Dog. Dean, what do you got for us this week, dude? Dean says, in honor <coughs> of the 200th show, I have a special question for you. Name your favorite top 200 fighters. I'm just kidding. Name your top 10 combat sports athletes of all time. So this was really fun. Thank you very much, Dean. So with MMA... Um, it's been the same for a while, but like <clears throat> I decided to make five of those and I apologize for, I always cough on the show, but it probably will be a little bit extra cough. Cause, uh, the old Rhino just got off of a eight hour shit. <laughs> I had to do a lot of work outside. It's very cold. So I'm a little extra raspy. So MMA, I'm going to go with my favorite of all time. Of course, Chuck Liddell, um, Fedor Emelianenko, Francis Ngannou, my current favorite fighter, Justin Gaethje, and then Nate Diaz. Cause you know. 209, and that's what's up. <laughs> and then if we're going to move over to boxing, my all-time favorite is James Lights Out Tony. Definitely Mike Tyson. My current favorite fighter, Bud Crawford. My all-time, like, classic favorite fighter, Joe Lewis, because he's from Detroit, and I just love that guy. I love watching the old films of him. And then I'm going to move it over to kickboxing, where I've got a tie. I've got Rico Verhoeven and Tyron Spong, who are both, like, my favorite kickboxers of all time. So Chuck, Fedor, Francis, Justin, and Nate for MMA. James Tony, Mike Tyson, Bud Crawford, Joe Lewis for boxing. And then a tie for kickboxing, Rico Verhoeven and Tyrone Spong. So those are my top 10 combat sports athletes. My favorites one. Not ones I think are the best, right? Just my favorite ones of all time. So great question, Dean Dog. Thank you very much, my dude. All right. Let's get into our girl, Ashley, the MMA mom. And I'm going to preface this APB by saying, she left me the nicest voicemail 
yesterday. I mean, it was so complimentary about the show and how we first got our start together. And like, we did this thing called the Supercast many years ago when I was doing a different show. And she was so funny. She was like, and then you went ahead and you dropped that dead weight. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> throwing shade at my old show. <laughs> which, was <awesome. laughs> which was awesome and like it was just so complimentary and sweet ash we love you so very much and thank you for the question what do you have for us this week ashley wants to know what is your favorite thanksgiving dish and who is your favorite guest you've had on your show so i am such a stuffing guy that like if you look at my plate when I go around the first time for Thanksgiving, it's like, it's a big pile of turkey. And I like, I'm one of the people that puts the cranberry sauce on top of the turkey. Like I like that combo, a little tiny spoonful of potatoes, a little bit of salad, maybe some asparagus, like some greens. Right. And then just this massive pile of stuffing. Like that's my absolute favorite thing. It's the only time I have it per year. Right. Like I think stuffing, I really only have it at Thanksgiving. Like it's not like I buy stovetop or anything. And it's not well, like I have stove top is nasty. So it's I just mean I don't have stuffing other than that one time per year. Right. And I love it. And I go real hard on it. Um, and as far as like <clears throat> obviously it's like it's like your kids. You can't pick your favorite kid. I mean, you can in your brain, but you can't say it out loud. So like I definitely have a lot of different favorites for different reasons. So like I think Chris Liebens was probably the most impactful due to how transparent he was about addiction and about all of the, you know, struggles and trials and tribulations he's had over his years. So that was like really important. And I really love that interview. John Wayne Park is like what he's meant to me as far as being a fan of his for so long. Like I remember watching John Wayne Park legitimately 15, 20 years ago and have him on the show and be one of the first guests I had on was just amazing. And to this day, the fight the, that interview still gets listened. It still gets plays and keeps clicking up. And it's, it's our far and away biggest um, numbers that we've ever had. And like, I love John Wayne Parr. So yeah, that was really important. Uh, Raphael Superstars, who just won last night. Um, Cause we had such amazing chemistry right from the get go, dude. We were like talking like we were best friends for 20 years. It was a really fun uh, interview. And like, I, I just loved his energy and I loved how well we got along. So for sure. Uh, Janae Hollapoint Harding, again, we had so much fun. I had her on twice. She interviewed me and like we've maintained a, a good a good relationship and a good friendship uh, ever since. So, yeah, big ups to Janae Hollapoint Harding. Jillian, because like Jillian's become a good friend of like pretty much all of ours in the Rhino gang, you know what I mean? Um, she's become a real friend. I got to see her get like the KO of her career right in front of my face, which was amazing. And so, yeah, huge. I love Julian DeCourcy. So yeah, JDC for sure. So yeah, dude, like I've had so many wonderful, amazing guests on, and I want to have so many amazing, wonderful, awesome guests on in the future. So that is going to be my answer on that one. Ashley, the MMA mom. Thank you so very much. We love you. All right. Let's get into our girl, Sandy pants, Sandy pants. What do you got for us this week? My friend. Sandy Pants says, my current MMA fantasy is that they finally book Stipe versus Jones, and at the last minute, Stipe pulls out. And then in parentheses, she says, not to the fantasy part yet, but Tom Aspinall doesn't exist in this realm. So John agrees to fight Derek Lewis on six days notice, and Derek Lewis knocks him clean the fuck out. There it is. <laughs> what is your wildest MMA fantasy in the current landscape? Love to you and my girl, APB. Aw, Sandy. I love you so much. You make me laugh all the time. She is so funny. Like, I love Sandy. She doesn't even have to try. <laughs> she is so funny, dude. And, like, so, and I know she loves Derek. I love Derek Lewis, but it's, like, it's got to be more important for her because, like, her, her and Tom, they live in Houston, you know, and, right. like, that's where that's where he's from, you know, the old old school four-ounce fight club. So, yeah, I, I totally get it, dude. Great question. Mine is definitely right now is Francis and John Jones. Like that's what I want. I want to. I want a cross promotion super fight because that's what we kind of got robbed of. Francis was the UFC heavyweight champion and he left over you know contract dispute. And then John Jones swoops in with the settle. That's all. That's all well and good. I would love to see that fight. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's why we're talking about fantasy booking, right? If you want to talk about 10, 15 years ago, dude, I wanted to see Anderson Silva versus John so bad. I thought Anderson was just toying with people. He wasn't really taking it seriously. He was just so far above everybody, right? And then you got John Jones, taller, longer reach, incredible striker. I thought the John Jones-Anderson Silva fight was inevitable, and it never came to fruition. It never panned out. So, yeah, like that really, 
bummed me out. And then over in the boxing world, we never got Pacquiao Mayweather when they were in their prime, right? It was like 10 years too late. Their fight sucked. One of the worst fights I've ever seen. So, dude, I really would love to see, you know, one of these fantasies actually come to, come to happen. And I would love to see the crossover. But, again, I, I don't see it. But, yeah, definitely Francis versus John Jones. That would be my answer on that one. So, Sandy Pants, what a great question. Keep them coming. You know how much we love you and appreciate you, my friend. Thank you again. All right. Let's get into our homie the struggle face, my man, Tom. Tom, what do you got for us this week, dude? Tom says, am I the only one tired of pretending that rankings matter? <clears throat> Between fighters jumping the line or fighters wanting to cherry pick opponents or be double champs, it's pointless to me. Maybe we should just do fights that quote unquote get numbers because that's what the fighters and average fans want anyway. I'm not an expert by any stretch. Stop. I'm not pretending to know the perfect system. But the fact the pound per pound best is a champion who's never defended in his own weight class is ridiculous. What's y'all's thoughts? Congrats on 200, bro. Thank you very much, my dude. Sorry, I had to yell at the champ because the champ was coughing up a lung over there, hacking it. He just does that. <laughs> he does that sometimes. I guess he wants airtime on the show. I really believe that. Um, he so probably yeah, does. I, I think he does. It's 200. He, he doesn't want anybody to think <laughs> about right, it. He doesn't want to miss out. <laughs> He's like, he's like, let me get my shine on. Let me get my cough over here a little bit. Um, so, dude, I 1,000% understand why you feel that way. I'm sure a whole lot of other people do, too, for all the reasons that you mentioned, dude. It's really it's frustrating the way that the landscape has kind of panned out as far as ranking goes. I'm such a huge advocate for rankings. Like, positioning and rankings matter so much to me. Like, dude, so I can't sign off on them being done away with. Um, I wish they were valued more, um, when it, especially when it comes down to, like, number one contender fights and title fights. Like, I wish they were valued far more than they are during the matchmaking process. <clears throat> I got to tell you, dude, in my pro career, the day that the rankings came out and I cracked the top 150 in the world was, like, one of the greatest days of my life. Um, it came out, you know, uh, and, and I looked at it and I printed it out. And I'm not kidding you. I must have looked at it a thousand times the rest of the day. It meant so much to me because I felt like my peers, the boxing writers, the people who who vote on that or, you know, and who make those lists, they really take into account who you're fighting, what their record was, how you got there. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot that goes into it. And I feel like it's probably the same amount of data that goes into these fighters, but they're not they're not adhered to the way that they should be. So yes, I, I'm very much an advocate for rankings and I'm very much an advocate for matchmakers using them as a major tool when it comes down to how they put fighters in against each other. So yes, I would like to see the luster restored to rankings where like, if you're the number one contenders, you're for sure getting the shots of the next titles in your weight class, dude. Like that's how it should be. Does there need to be a, a number one contenders fight? Sure. Let it happen. Then you have a clear-cut number one contender. You know what I mean? Like, I like it like that. It's it's cleaner. It doesn't get all murky. So, yeah, I really hope it gets back to that point uh, more than, like you said, how, you know, fights they think are going to draw and guys skipping the line and wanting to get double champs. Yeah, I, I really – I'm ready things go back to before all those things were taking place. So, as always, dude, great question, Tom. We really appreciate you, my guy. All right, let's get into our girl, the filthy casual and occasional co-host. My Midwestern friend, what do you got for us this week? The Filthy Casual says, Bellator put on a hell of a card last Friday, and they now head into an uncertain future. Looking back at the history of this promotion, if you had to put together a list of absolutely can't-miss Filthy Casuals must-see fights that happened under the Bellator banner, which ones would make the top three? Awesome question, my friend. Number one is the easiest because it's it's Michael Chandler versus Eddie Alvarez one. That was from Bellator 58 in 2011. Now, fam, I know a lot of you out there who listen to this show don't watch Bellator, and that's okay. I get it. There's no judgment whatsoever. But I will tell you this. If you have never seen Michael Chandler versus Eddie Alvarez one from 2011, look it up because it is one of the most spectacular blood and guts back and forth ebbs and flows fight you will ever see i absolutely love that fight i watched it just like a month ago i was like oh i want to watch that one again for like the 50th time so yeah that's definitely number one for me that's the easiest one number two is sergio pettis 
versus Kyoji Horiguchi. And that was just from a couple years ago in 2021. It was a Rocky style comeback from Pettis. Like he was getting his ass kicked by Kyoji first, second, and third round, dude. You're like, okay, we know where this is going. No, that's not what happened. He comes from out of nowhere and gets the huge knockout. Like it, it was just, it was exactly like a movie would be. And so, yeah, Sergio Pettis versus Kyoji Horiguchi from just a couple years ago in 2021. And then third was a little bit harder. <clears throat> I had to go back and, like, really kind of think on and look at some of the fights that I'd seen. I'm like, man, what really stands out? But, like, Michael Venom Page came into Bellator with, like, guns blazing, dude. His first fight, he broke the – okay, so we all call Cyborg, like, the, we think of the female Cyborg. But, like, before she was Cyborg, her husband at the time – was called Cyborg, right? Like, I know it's weird that she, like, took his nickname. I don't know. I don't know. There's all back there. But Evangelista Santos, I believe is his name, he goes in to fight MVP, and this guy is a bad motherfucker. And he goes in, and MVP literally crushed his skull with his knee. Like, the APB, if you if you never saw the x-rays, look that up. Because it's okay. legitimately his knee went completely and broke cyborg santos's skull and then he threw he threw like a pokemon ball because that was when like pokemon go was still hot you know yeah (laughs) he threw a pokemon (laughs) so like mvp was this big personality that came on the scene he was just knocking everybody out he was doing this karate style that was unique we haven't seen it from that high of a level since probably i mean you could say wonder boy a little bit but like machida you know he was getting a lot of machida comparisons just killing everybody and then he gets in there with douglas lima um, I don't remember which Bellator number it was, but it was from 2019. And like MVP's doing all this clowning and his bullshit. And then Douglas Lima knocks him clean the fuck out with a beautiful shot. So yeah, dude, it was a good fight. So yeah, Douglas Lima, MVP, that'd be my third one. Sergio Pettis, Kyoji Horiguchi, number two. And number one, the easiest one. Fucking Michael Chandler versus Eddie Alvarez one. My God. Again, fam, if you've not seen this fight, Watch this fight right now. It is that good. Well, listen to the rest of the show. And then look, <laughs> watch it. All right, let's get into our homie, the Rage of Sweet Potato. No, even, what about Jim? I thought Jim was. Oh, I had, I had that in reverse. I put Jim at seven and RSP at six. So let's go ahead and do Jim then. So Jim is from OG Jim Assume. Jim, what do you got for us this week, dude? What's going on, you bunch of fucking casuals? Perfect. Rhino and the Rhino gang. Hope y'all are doing well. Man, that that main event was a good grappling match. <laughs> Who would you like to see Paul fight next? Also, I feel like Alan has all the potential to be champ one day as well. You kids know it's always 420. Peace. Peace. So first of all, I will never tire of that. <laughs> the, Juice talked about his show. He's like, he did. I heard he, him. Was, he was like, ABB, you know, because Rhino's discontinued. Um, voice questions and how APB does an impression of Jim and Soon. And I'm like, yeah. And it's always going to be that way because it fucking makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> and I never go tired of it and it rules. So, to answer your question, OG, <clears throat> so next for Paul at 185, I'm thinking either the winner of RoboCop um, versus Brad Tavares, which is coming up soon. I think that'd be an awesome fight. doesn't matter which one it is. RoboCop would be a good fight. And then Brad Tavares, we all know what an awesome fighter he is. So, yeah, either one of those would be great. Or, and I think this might even be a little bit more intriguing, the winner between Iron Turtle and Andre Muniz, which is coming up soon. I hope it's Iron Turtle. Because can you imagine Iron Turtle versus fucking Paul Craig? Iron Turtle would take Paul Craig down, and it would be like the battle between his ground and pound versus Paul Craig's submissions. And I think that would be a lot of fun and very interesting. But we'll see what happens. Iron Turtle versus Jew Bear. I mean, Bear Jew. <laughs> right. Oh, Bear, Bear Jew. Jew is from <laughs> Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> I knew that. I'm sorry. It's late. <laughs> it is late. Oh yeah, you for sure get a pass. It is super. Memorable. I also had a. I, I also had a lot of alcohol this weekend, so I'm kind of stupid. Good for you. You deserve. You better wind down a little bit. All right. So yeah, either one of those would be good matches, and it would make sense. Brendan Allen has all the tools to be a champion, dude. Um, I just, I need to see the resume get ramped up here, which is going to. He's had a very natural, normal progression for where he's at. Um, and now that he's beaten, you know, now he's in the top 10, he got another win. I think we got to see him against a top five guy. And again, if he can get through whoever that is, 
yeah, we're talking we're talking championship material for Brendan Allen because he is truly one of the most well-rounded guys, not just at 185, but in the whole fucking organization of the UFC. He is really, really good. He's been around a long time, but he's still young. He's not shop-worn. He's good everywhere. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what's next uh, for Brendan Allen. Let's get him a fight in the top five at 185. Let's see what happens. So, yeah, awesome stuff and middleweight to come for him. All right. Now, OG, we're going to switch over to the homie, the Rage of Sweet Potato, RSP. RSP is the choice for me. <laughs> and if you thought we were going to go through number 200 without doing that, you cray-cray. So, yes, RSP, what do you got for us this week, dude? <laughs> RSP says, there are <coughs> nearly 100 people from 18 countries around the world who have held undisputed UFC gold in the last 30 years. Over 75% of them have come from Brazil and the star-spangled, rootin' tootin', gun-shootin' United States of America. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> looking at all, Looking at all of the rising talent in the <laughs> UFC... Which country do you think will be the next to be added to the list of championship nationalities? First of all, that's a great question. Very insightful. And I didn't know that. You know, he, I like he, your rooting tooting in there, too. That was, hey, that was really shooting. funny. Yeah. Rooting tooting gun <laughs> shooting. That's funny. <laughs> that's why RSP is the toilet. <laughs> so the two most clear answers should be, I couldn't narrow it down to one. It's, it's definitely Russia and specifically the region of Dagestan, dude. That's in particular. And yeah. then Mexico. Both countries have had multiple UFC champions, but even more importantly, they've had many champions in other organizations. Obviously, when you think of the UFC, you think of Dagestan, Habib is still the first one that comes up. Obviously, Islam, those are probably the two biggest ones, right? But you look at, like, they've got champions in Bellator. They've got champions in other major organizations. And so, yeah, Dagestan is huge, the Dagestan region of Russia. If you look at Mexico, Brandon Moreno, Alexa Grasso, obviously they are UFC champions who came from Mexico. I think the gyms that are popping up in these regions that are being funded are, are really, really good. We're going to see a whole new wave and a huge crop of new fantastic fighters coming from both Dagestan and from Mexico. Another thing I like about both of them, they both have major, like ACA is a major MMA promotion in Russia. And then Combate Americas, that's in that's in a lot of times in Mexico. So they have some chance to get some really high-level stuff even before moving over to Bellator or the PFL or the UFC. So, yeah, dude, definitely my answer is going to be Mexico and Russia, specifically the Dagestan region of Russia. I think we're going to see a ton of really talented top-tier fighters coming out of those areas in the next five years and beyond. So, yes, that is my very clear and dis decisive answer. For that one, Rage of Sweet Potato, thank you very much, my dude. All right. APB, that's going to conclude our write-in questions for this episode, episode 200, if we haven't mentioned that before. So let's go ahead and get our 10 rounds of Rhino with head coach of the Winning Cartel, Tyson Chardier, after a quick word from our sponsor, KNR Designs. Hey, Rhino gang, are you looking for a piece of furniture to tie the room together? Maybe make it feel a little bit more homey? How about a beautifully restored dresser for the bedroom? or an end table for the family room. We'll look no further than my good friends at K&R Designs. You got a piece of furniture that needs restoration? They got you covered. Looking for a new addition to your home decor that's already been beautifully done? They got you there too. We're talking dressers, armoires, kitchen tables, cabinets, nightstands, any and all wood furniture you can think of, they've got or can get for you. So check out K&R Designs in-store at 101 West Chicago Boulevard in Tecumseh, Michigan, or on their website, knrcustomdesigns.com. Check out their Facebook page, K&R Home Deco, that's D-E-C-O, to see everything they have and the amazing work that they can do. You can also call and order at 517-605-7173. They accept PayPal, Venmo, Square, Cash, Check. They accept them all. So if you want the absolute best of the best and restorative wood furniture creators, you got to check out K&R Designs. Tell them you're a member of the Rhino Gang, and that'll get you 20% off your very first purchase. Once again, check out K&R Designs, Combat Sports with Rhino's proud sponsor. Ah, oh, Fight Fair, we got ourselves another fantastic guest going 10 rounds of Rhino with us this week. Head coach of the New England Cartel, manager... Oh, the manager of Top Game Management, Super Supreme. We've got Tyson Chartier in the house. Tyson, thank you so much for joining us today, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on, Rhino. I'm happy to be here. 
Dude, we are super stoked to have you on. So Tyson, round one with Rhino is always the same. I love getting the background story. What's the origin story of how you first got involved in this crazy, wacky world of MMA, my dude? I uh, I wrestled in high school and then uh, didn't want to go away to wrestling college because I had a local girlfriend. I was a, I was a wuss. So I stayed local <laughs> and I was like, I, need <laughs> I was a big pussy. So I stayed home for love and then uh, just walked on to my college lacrosse team and um, played the cross for four years and um, did that, you know, and then once I got out of college, I, I went to grad school, helped recruit for the college lacrosse team as a graduate assistant. And while I was doing that, I graduated and they got my first job and I, I saw UFC on TV and I was like, oh, I'd love to try jujitsu. And uh, so I went to a jujitsu class and then slowly, like little by little, uh, one of the guys I was training with, he was getting ready for a fight, he asked me to spar. And then eventually I ended up cornering him because I was uh, a wrestler and he was fighting a ground guy. And uh, I was like, oh, I'd like to try that once. And then, you know, 15 fights later and yeah. <laughs> a bunch of years later. So it's, it just kind of was happenstance. It was never like, I just tripped into it. It was more of a personal challenge. I figured I'll do one thing, do one fight, and then see where it goes. And here we are. Pretty nice that uh, you have a, you had a regional promotion of the level of the, you know, CES just down the road from you too, to be able to get into, which is awesome. Um, I've had so many CES guys on over the years and I just, I'm so high on that promotion and I'm super stoked that, you know, you were able to fight for them as well. Was there a moment when you first felt like, um, you know, the new England cartel, which is, again, is your, the guys that you coach, it's your team where you sort of felt like we are, we are just now beginning to gel. Like this has become a real team instead of just guys that I'm helping train. I feel like I have those moments like every six months, you know, like, yeah. you know, I look at where we were six months ago and I'm like, damn, how are we doing that with how we're doing it? And now we're so much better. And I, I keep feeling like I keep having these little epiphanies or these little light bulbs go off where like, I keep thinking we're leveling up and then I'm like, how did we do it before? And then I'm kind of like almost a comparison that we were doing it that way before, you know, and it was just like an evolution thing where you do the best you can with what you got. And then as you get more, you're able to do more and then you know you just find another level and you know a new gear so to speak and i think i think the big one was the pandemic i think um that was when the pandemic first hurt first hit it like crippled a lot of teams because they were like what do we do what do we do and we were kind of already training so what everybody had to do was they had to do small group training under in a closed environment with minimal resources which is what we were already doing you know we were training in boxing gyms or garages and you know going to other people's sparring sessions and stuff because we had just kind of broken off and we were trying to establish what our team was going to be. So we were already kind of quarantined training as it was. So when that happened, it was like we we didn't skip a beat, but all these other gyms were comparing their current training to what they were doing before and feeling like inferior, like they were getting inferior training to what they were getting before. They were kind of stressed out. They weren't as confident going to these fights. And we were just like, here we go. This is like our world now. And then – you know, there wasn't a lot of sports going on. And that was when there was, you know, we were on UFC 249, this first sporting sporting event back. Calvin got a big win. And that's when kind of like, I think we hit the, you know, that threshold of, uh, okay, wow, look at these guys, look what they did. And then, a few, you know, a few months later, whatever it was, uh, you know, by the end of that year, Rob got his win against Marais. And then everybody's like, okay, these guys were onto something. And that's when, you know, uh, I think um, MMA Junkie had us a top three for gym of the year. I got coach of the year, and I think that's where, you know, both guys cracked the top five. So it was just, like, a big year for the team, and that's when we kind of started getting, like, a little bit more notoriety, like, globally. Put some respect on that, on that NEC day, baby. <laughs> so obviously we just talked about it. Rob and Calvin are the most talked about, and for very good reason for their accomplishments. They're different dudes. You know, I think sometimes they get lumped in with, you know, their, their New England cartel guys. They all just – you know, throw bombs and move forward and forward pressure. And I think that, you know, there's some truth to that, but they are very different fighters. They have very different styles. They're very two different individual guys. You know them and you know their game and style better than anybody else. If you had to pick like the biggest reason, because obviously there are a lot of reasons why they're good fighters, but if you had to pick the biggest reason why A, Rob is such a talented and successful fighter, and then B, why Calvin is such a talented and successful fighter. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, so it's hard to say, like, one reason. Obviously, they're gifted. Um, I would say that, like, there's three things that I really look for in, in a successful fighter. 
like when I'm looking at a young kid, like, okay, does he have the potential? And the first one is talent. You know, are they a talented kid? That I say right away is the least important. Um, you know, do they have that natural talent? And then, and the second would be the work ethic. Do they have like a good work ethic? Are they going to show up, work hard, not make excuses? Um, you know, work. You know, like just put everything in, and they're going to listen. You know, are they going to show up, be a good teammate, work hard, listen? not make excuses. Like, are they going to be that guy in the room that you can push as far as you need to push them? And they're going to be like, yes, coach. Are they that guy? And that, that's really important to me. Um, I think that has a lot of like, you, know, you can, you can look at that, like the people that make it have that, you know? And then the third one would be, I, I call it home life. I just kind of throw it, put it in that bucket of home life. Like, do they have a support system at home that allows them to make this their baby? Like, are, do they have like a girlfriend, a mom, an uncle, whatever, a wife? that like, don't worry about the bills, honey. I got this. You go focus on winning fights. Like, do they have that? Like, or the opposite of that would be like, babe, like you seriously, you, you have to go training. The kid's sick, this, that, or, um, bills need to be paid. Like they're in charge of the other primary bill payer before they make it to UFC. It's like, so I look at the home life and that's, that's usually a huge indicator of whether or not someone's going to have the ability to make it this long term because if someone is super talented and has the work ethic, but their home life is constantly pulling them away and distracting them and kind of, you know, pulling them like a, a different direction and making them feel like they're being a bad person when they're going to train, that's generally going to win over. That's going to pull them. They're, they're not going to be focused. So I look for those three things. And I, I look at, at Rob and Rob was, uh, you know, his first amateur fight. He, I think he was still working at seven 11. He was a cashier at seven 11 after he moved up to Florida and he wasn't doing strength and conditioning. He was kind of like working a lot, training when he could. And he had his first amateur fight. He looked really good, but he gassed out. And, and he lost the decision to end up being a pretty tough kid too, Nate Osis, I think. And um, he had two te- another teammate fight on the card and won. And then the third teammate was about to walk. And second teammate's in the tunnel with us, about to walk with the third one. He's excited. He got this big smile. He's wearing a medal. You know, and I, I see Rob look kind of bummed, but he's still being a good teammate. He's there to support the third guy walking. And I just looked at him. I just I don't know why I said it, but I just looked at him. I go, Rob. Like, do you want to feel like, 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 uh, like Davis feels right now? I go, then you got to like, take this more seriously. You got to get strength and addition. You can't gas out in a fight. And he just, he was like, all right, all right. And he went back and he talked to Kathy, now fiance, but at that time it was his girlfriend. And he's like, listen, I, I got to do strength and conditioning. Like I need to like take this more serious if I want to do this. And, um, she's like, all right, quit your job. I'll, I'll pay the bills. You, you do whatever you need to do. And so at that point, like Kathy was that person that was like, you focus on the win. He's an O and one amateur. You know, she was like, do what you need to do, Rob. I believe in you. And, and then he just put his head down and worked hard. He has some natural talent that like, you know, obviously he's got a natural jab. Like he's just always had a good jab. Yeah. It's not something that like, you know, Oh, he learned it for the, some secret jab. Like he just has a good flippy jab and he knows how to use it. And he has really good like demeanor with it. And like, you know, the nuances of, of the footwork along with it and like different types of jab, different angles and when to use it pace tempo all that stuff he just that's his like that's his move you know and um so you pair all that together and like that's what's made him successful it's like i don't think he's where he's at if he didn't have kathy you know because if he was that guy that's like oh sorry i can't make it to this practice gotta work he was always willing to do extra sessions he was always willing to like get go to other gyms cross train learn from other people do extra extra rounds stay late come early whatever it was he was ready to do it and that was when he was like Owen one Rob Font, Owen one amateur Rob Font, who was still kind yeah. of chubby, fighting at one fifty five. Like, didn't really know what he was doing yet. So, like, that—that's not. I'm not saying like that's why he made it, but if he didn't have that, he wouldn't have made it. You know. So he had the work ethic, he had some natural talent in different areas, but then he had that home life. He had that Rock and Kathy that made it all possible. So I would say is it was like a culmination of those three things that um, made him successful and where he's at now. And then I think one of the other things is. is um, Later on in his career, what I think's really kind of helped him a little bit is uh, trying to focus on like the mind strengthening. Like he's been reading books, like even books on like how to sell better, like sales books, relationship books, like understanding how to like carry better relationships through your life. Because like better relationships through your life carry over into MMA because now you have like better relationship with your coaches, better relationship at home with your girl, better relationship with your parents. Like all that stuff makes your life easier and it's less stress carrying into a camp. So I think he's done a lot of mental evolution throughout you know, probably last like four or five years, he's done a lot of growth uh, between the ears. And um, I think that's allowed him to like level up even more because he's able to get 
what he needs out of people and able to express it in a more like direct way without like saying it the wrong way, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's, um, that's something that he's done. And then Calvin on the other side, Calvin, he's uh same thing. Like he's had, you know, he wrestled, he had that natural ability to be like a, a he was like a really gritty, crafty wrestler. Like he, and he always said like in wrestling, like, Oh, if I could just punch these guys, I would have beat them. But like he, I mean, he went like, I think went like 30 and wins and, and like a couple losses his last year of wrestling. And he was, but he won't even really like act like he was like a good wrestler. He'd be like, oh, I just wrestled a little bit in high school, but he was like a very good high school wrestler. And he just had that mindset. And he had a good coach in high school that seems to uh, really had an impression on him. I think it was Coach James and kind of set that that mindset of like, no, you got to show up, you got to work hard, and there's no excuses. And Calvin's kind of always had that like, you got to put my head down and He's the type of guy that will like just keep training even when he's hurt. No, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. You kind of have to like pull him back. But he's got that like bloodhound mentality where like you you put him on a scent and he's just gonna keep going even if it's at like the cost of his own health. You know, he's just he's gonna he's so tough. You know, and um and then on top of that, he's, same thing. He's got awesome boxing. You know, he started out with um you know boxing with uh you know Mickey Ward and some of his coaches and he he learned the jab right from him right away right out of, right in high school. You know. And so the wrestling paired with the boxing and then his willingness to just keep putting his head down and work hard. And uh, that, that was a help. But then obviously he's got his mother and his brother and his family. He's got like how him and his brother and sister are or how I hope my kids are when they get older. You know, there's two brothers and a, and a sister. I got two boys and a little girl. I hope they're like Calvin and his brother and sister when they get older. They support each other in everything they do um, and their mom. And, and they're just like so cohesive and close. Like, there, Calvin runs the promotion combat zone. Sister flies in from Texas to help run it. You know, the brother is a firefighter. He helps run it. The mom's there taking all the tickets at the door. Like all the whole family's involved. In it. And then we're going to, you know, we're going out to Austin for Rob's fight, but the sister's coming up. She lives in Texas. The mom's flying out with us. She's going to help watch Rob's kid on fight week. Like they're just so supportive of everything he does that it makes it like very easy for him to focus on like just advancing his career like so he's got a really really like cohesive family unit and like family support so you know rob has kathy he has his like his family that like just just helps propel him and everything so i think um when all that stuff comes together it's just like it just makes it hard hard to fail you know um and then i kind of give the same answer for both guys but it's really it's like i would say it's those three things and when you try to look in those different buckets and i see some guys that i've worked or i've coached you know coached or managed or both in the ufc that like didn't make it and it's like you can point to one of those buckets that wasn't full and that was the reason that they they, they didn't make it you know yeah. and so like i can't say it's one thing I, I say it's like those guys filled those three buckets and and they kept those three buckets full throughout the career and they're and they're still keeping those buckets full throughout their career so it's a really good like example for the young fighters on our team to see like listen like if you want to do this like you ha you have to get your your relationships right at home you have to set up the right financial structure at home you have to set up, you know you have to have the right work ethic you have to prioritize training you know like there's no excuse to mispractice and like are you sick is, you, is your daughter you know is, is your wife dying is your mom dying like is, is someone someone in the hospital then you should be here you know and and this is and I say to the guys, like, listen, if you work at Amazon, you're not calling in sick because you're tired. You know, like, you have to show up. You know, and this is your job now. Like, year-round, this is your job. These team practices, you're here. And if the guys can't figure that out, you know, you see it early on. The guys that can't figure it out early on, they can't figure it out later on. They end up fizzling out. So I look at those two guys as a, uh, a good example for the younger kids to see. If you want to make it, you have to fill these three buckets. And now at least you'll have a chance. It doesn't mean you will, though. Man, that was a great fucking answer, dude. <laughs> I, I know, I, I ramble. I know, I, 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 know, I ramble. I talk. I got, I got most talkative in high school. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't like to. You know, you'll have no problem filling up. Leave there. things unsaid, right? <laughs> so, being a coach and a manager, so shout out to Top Game Management, are two vital roles for fighters, and I don't think from the management side, it probably gets talked about a lot in the MMA landscape, especially in media. Um, but again, two vital roles, being manager and being a coach. You have to, you know, it's not like we're born knowing how to do either. 
right? We have to learn on the job. We have to fucking figure things out. We have to trial and error to get where we want to go. What would you say was a more difficult transition for you to kind of learn the game of management side or learning the game on the coaching side? I think on the management side, you just kind of have to understand the process and then like know how to network. You know, you got to find out other good managers that will kind of like you scratch their back, they scratch yours. You, you know, you try to like, you know, uh, network a little bit, share information, ask advice, because there's no manager out there that knows everything. So like when you run into an issue with X, Y, X, Y, or Z, you should have another manager. Hey, you ever dealt with this? They should help you. You know, like the good managers will, the scumbag managers, they're not going to take your call and, and help you because they, they, they look at everything as competition. But you know, I look yeah. at it as we're all in the same boat. At the end of the day, like you might have your, your agency, I have my agency, this person over there has theirs, and you look at it as we're all on a, the same ocean in a bunch of different boats. I look as we are literally all on the same boat, you know? Like, we are in the same boat. If, if I help my guys, you know, swim, then your guys are swimming better, too. If I help, if you give me information that helps me get my guy a better contract or get, get my guy out of trouble uh, with, the, you know, like a, a USADA snafu or, or something, like something yeah. comes up, we're like, all right, I need to help my, my client can you, how do you, how do you handle this in the fact you have any other resources you can recommend or, you know, who'd you talk to at this point to, you know, get an appeal going? Like we should be sharing all that information. Um, but some of these bigger, bigger agencies, they think like information is power, which it is to some degree, but like not sharing information is, is actually detrimental to the, to the whole pool of fighters. Like a raising tide rises all ships, right? Right. So if I can help, I don't care who it is, like agency A, who has like 80 fighters in the UFC. If I can help him with information to make one of his fighters have a better career, and like he ends up getting either maybe more money, maybe whatever. Now the next time it's gonna help my guy. So now my guy who's like competing with that guy is gonna be on a different playing field when it comes to money. My guy will probably get paid more money because his guy got paid more money. You know, but they view it as like, no, I want to make that guy look like he sucks, not share any information and, and keep, I'd rather have my guy make less money than, than get information from another manager and, and, uh, um, and, and help each other because I want to make my, the other people not have the information and I want to make my guys feel like I have all the answers. But the reality is like, it's just overall, it's not helping the fight, you know, like, cause we don't have collective bargaining. So right. it's like the collective bargaining should be happening in an information network between the managers, but, and it does to some degree with like a lot of the, the mid-level, the mid-level ones, but the, the big agencies, they don't want to share any information because they, they look at it as like, Oh no, I want to, I want you to look bad right now. So I can try to steal your guy, you know? Whereas like, bro, if you, if you knew this true story is like how many of your guys call me and ask for advice on things and I help them and they stay with you and I don't try to steal them. I help them because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, and that's really how I think it should be. But, but yeah, so long story short, like the management side, it's really just about learning your, the network and the process and like the information. Cause the fighters are all going to come to you kind of eventually with the same questions like, oh, what happens here? What happens there? And then, oh my God, I missed weight by this much. How, what percentage should we get? You, as experience grows, you, you kind of know all those answers, like who to network with in the UFC, what to expect on different scenarios come up. Um, so that's really just like a time thing and like a cycles thing. And I think that's just kind of like more. I guess you could say experience-based. Um, but then on the coaching side, it was like, coaching, I think, is like, well, on, on the coaching side, there's training and there's coaching. And in, in the way I put it in the two buckets, like, training is easy. You show up, you teach a class, you teach some skills, and you say, good job, guys. You get, get them sweaty, and they leave feeling like they got a good workout. Training, that's easy. You can go in there and just work anybody, right? But like, Training in a manner that results in you being a coach, that's the art. That's the skill and that's the hard part. Is you're not you're going in there with a directed training session that is flows into the whole camp to so you have an evolution throughout that camp of like fighter A should be better going into the fight after an eight-week camp or twelve week camp, whatever it is. But at the same time you're focused on that fighter getting ready for that fight the whole team needs to be getting better too, even if they're not in camp or maybe they're fighting another guy. So it's like figuring out like, okay, what's the curriculum? What are we going to work on? How are we going to make everybody better for their fights? But everybody, you know, establishing, um, you know, better discipline, creating more grit, getting everybody in shape, not getting people hurt, keeping everybody on the same page, but then also 
making sure that everybody's more confident going into their fight because you only do have like a 90 minute session and you can't like make it tailored towards this guy but not that guy and or that guy and not this guy everybody's gonna get something out of it so that and then on top of that it's like those 90 minutes is where you're training them then after that is where all the questions come the, all the concerns it's all the parents that are calling you oh johnny said this is what's going on and then and then that's like now you're balancing like the team aspect of, of training now because now you're not only training guys during a 90 minute session but then also coaching them through a whole camp and trying to get the evolution going now it's the whole like how do we build a culture on a team where they all support each other and they're not like competing with each other and they're trying to push each other and help each other not pull each other back and it's it's hard that's that takes a long time and that takes to some degree networking to talking to other coaches when scenarios come up hey what, how'd you deal with this how you deal with you know you have this happen or that happen and and then learning and then like sometimes it's just going with your gut but it's really like it's hard like the coaching part and i, I can't even claim that i haven't figured out yet because i'm always trying new stuff and i'm always trying to like get better and i'm always trying to make the team better and i'm always like i want to have a culture on our team of these guys cheer so hard for each other that when like they win they can't sleep that night because their teammate won. They're so jacked up. And the girl's like, will you just come to bed? They're like, oh, man, I'm so pumped up because Carl won, you know? Like, and then when they lose, they're so upset and they feel so bad for them. Like, that's what I want is I want this to be like they're all brothers, you know? And I, re and I think we're doing good at that. Like, I feel like when people look at the cartel, they're like, damn, these people are like tight knit. These guys all support each other. They're like, they love each other, you know? And that's that's the culture I'm trying to trying to build because that's the culture where you go in that room and everybody's going to try to take care of you. Everybody's going to try to make you better. They know that your success is their success. It's not your success. Is, there's not a famine mentality. This is like, dude, you go eat more. Eventually, I'm going to eat more too. You know? And um, it's tough, man. It's like, I, I would say like the management stuff, probably way easier. The biggest way to set yourself apart from the, the rest of them is, is just don't be a lying douchebag, which is, Honestly, most of these guys can't do it. You know, they, they all get caught lying. They all get caught stealing. They all, they all poach from each other. They're frenemies. You see them at the hotel bar on fight week, and they're all, like, high fives and giving each other hugs. But behind their each other's back, they're like, that guy sucks. You should fire him. Come with me. Like, they're all fake. I'm not going to say all, but a majority of them are fake. They get caught lying. They're, you know, lie, cheat, steal. Like, I, I don't agree with, like, the MMA landscape on the management side right now. I think there's a lot of, like, backstabbing and unnecessarily poach, unnecessary poaching that goes along. There's a lot of uh, lying that like this, you know, manager A goes to fighter B and says, hey, you should be with me. I could get you this for sponsors. And they're just saying it to try to steal. They want to steal that guy from another manager and get him. And then at the end of the day, they're not going to do any better. That's why you see like guys that are bouncing around from like, you know, they're in the UFC for six, eight years and they have on the third or fourth manager. All the managers are doing the same thing. They're going to come over and their lie is going to be a little better. They'll skip to the next guy and, and they're not going to do much better for him. Like the reality is like, I'm, and I have people reach out to me all the time, like, oh, how can you get an MMA manager? Any advice? And it's like, the two things I can, prom can promise all my athletes is I'll be responsive and I'll never lie to you. And, like, to someone who's never had a manager, they're like, okay, like, how's that differentiate you? And that differentiates me is because I know guys that have, like, so, quote, unquote, the best managers in the game, they'll text them on a Sunday and they get a text back on a Thursday. To me, that's right. not acceptable. You work for that person. But I understand you're busy. But, like, with me, it's like, listen, if I don't reply, it's because I'm coaching, sleeping, or I'm with my kids, and you will get a call back as soon as one of those three things are done, you know? And so, like, I set that, as, that you know, that expectation with them right away. Um, well, the other one would be on a plane, but, like, um, and then the other one is, like, lying. It's, like, a lot of these managers are just lying. Like, even if it's about, like, hey, are we going to get that fight? Oh, I talked to so-and-so promotion. They said it's booked, but they didn't ask about, they didn't ask about that. You know, so many times where you see fighters that want this fight and like, did you, did you ask the promotion about it? And they're like, yeah, 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 I did. And I'm like, well, just ask them for a screenshot. Well, I, 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 you know, I said it in person, you know, it's like they, so they're all like lying because the managers, when you have 15 guys in one division, you're, you're, you're stack ranking which guys you want to go in certain directions. Not necessarily. So a fighter A says, Hey, I want to fight Johnny. And you're like, Ooh, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like you know you manage johnny too so you're gonna be like yeah yeah i'll get you that fight with johnny but then johnny doesn't want to fight him I'm like what do you do you're lying to one of them you know like so i just it's tough man i could ramble about the management side all day so like, on the management side just have integrity don't lie and be responsive but on the coaching side 
it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot. It's a it's a never ending process of trying to like be better and make your fighters better and like keep a good team dynamic. Uh, absolutely, my dude. Now this next question is really just going to focus on what it was like for you from a coaching perspective only. Can you kind of walk us through your first walkout into the UFC, like the first time you're going from the back to the cage, how that all kind of went down, what it felt like, if you have any recollection of what you were thinking or was going through your mind at that time? Yeah, it was uh, July 5th, 2014. I think it was. It was uh, UFC 175. I was walking Rob Font out to the cage to fight George Roop. It was International Fight Week, and uh, I, I just remember being like, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. And, uh, just how cool it was. I'm like, oh, man, like, literally, like, 2014, like, six years before that, I went to International Fight Week because I bumped into Dana White on a plane, and he gave me tickets to come out the next weekend to watch a fight. And, you know, fast forward six years, now I have cornering a fighter on International Fight Week, and then Rob goes out and gets that knockout and gets the bonus and it was just like i remember thinking like life doesn't get any better than this you know this is so cool. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and i even remember in the moment like we're walking back we left the cage and one of the other coaches tried to like hug rob hug rob oh you know rob like kind of had a moment where he was like he just started crying on the way back because i think it, the moment hit him and then the other coach went to run up to him and i grabbed him and was just you no know, just like just let him have his moment you know like let him do his thing and i just remember thinking like this is so cool for rob you know which is obviously cool for me you know um, I just remember thinking it was like just a real cool moment. It was surreal. You know, you start watching UFC on TV, thinking like, "Oh, that'd be so cool to fight one day." And the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm walking a fighter out to the UFC. It was just, it was a very cool experience. And at the time, I didn't know it would kick off all the stuff that we're doing now. But it's it's such an amazing it's such an amazing thing to get your perspective on that because and, and from a lot of us. I was fortunate. I fought in some really big venues with some really big guys on the card. I was just, you know, like a mid-level pro, but I fought with some guys where I was like, I, I can't believe I'm on the same card with this guy. And that wasn't even close to being the effect of like walking out with them and seeing the reaction and being a part of something like that. And then for you to have the memory of, you know, th that is a big emotional release when you have worked so long for something like that and to get that win and to get the win in an emphatic fashion, the way that he did getting the bonus, that's life-changing money for a lot of, you know, for a lot of people. And so all that to be at one and then to be a part of that um, is, is a big reason why so many of us love this sport. It's the reason why we, we are so passionate about it. And I think that comes through um, when you see a fighter, you know, have those moments. And I, I just love, I love that aspect of the sport. I don't think it gets talked about or examined enough. So thank you very much for, uh, for rocking us through that one, my dude. Now this is yeah. funny because Tyson, <clears throat> you know, just for, for time constraint, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we're going to make it all the way to do 10 rounds, but I did want to get this one in because I don't think, you know, we get to hear kind of the personal side from from someone like you, who obviously, you know, you're more of a background guy, right? For as far as the sport goes, and we don't get to hear from you a ton. I would love to hear what what Tyson Chartier does as far as to like decompress when you do have time to just chill, relax, have some fun away from the fight world. I know it never ends, but there's got to be some moments where you find a little bit of fun and like chill time. What do you like to do in those in those instances, my friend? So my only hobby that you could describe as my hobby is I watch Formula One. Like I watch F1. So like I kind of get into that. I have a couple of buddies that watch with me and we have a little like fantasy thing that we do. We kind of like each, each week based on who lost the week before, we each get to pick two cars in a specific order based on our rankings. And then we cheer for those cars the next week. So it makes it fun. So that's kind of like my, my distraction. Yeah. But other than when I'm not coaching, I'm at home with the kids. And then at night, I'll watch, like, if I'm not studying film, I'll watch Netflix. You know, I'll watch some, you know, just mindless television, just kind of, you know, zone out a little bit. But that's really, it's I'm, it's not like a super exciting life. It's like, I train. Oh, I beg, I, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. It's a pretty <laughs> fucking exciting life. But go it's, ahead, uh, have that perspective. <laughs> yeah, like, I, it, it's, it's training. And then I try to be home every night to put my kids to bed. Um, so it's like nighttime routine with the kids. And then it's a little bit of downtime, whether it be like, studying film, doing some paperwork that I have to get done and then, you know, watching the Netflix and then go to bed, go to bed. And then the next day it's the same thing. So really it's just F1 would probably be my only hobby. Like nobody on the team cares about it, but I talk to them about it all the time. 
they'll ask you about just to humor me, but I know like they could care less. So right. Uh, shout out to my homie Steffi, who I literally she's my only friend who digs F1 a lot too, and I don't know anything about it. And I literally call her Steffi F1. So shout out to my friend Steffi because <laughs> you just brought that one up. So Tyson, can we kind of just share your social medias, dude? Because I love I would love for my homies in the Rhino Gang to follow you along if they're not already. IG, Twitter, all that. Can we get your social medias, dude? Yeah. So uh, Instagram is Tyson underscore Chartier, and then Netflix. I mean Netflix. Uh, Twitter is uh, Tyson Chartier. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's really it. It's yeah, give me a follow, and I try not to be too boring on there. Oh no, dude, you're not boring. Your your follows are always awesome, but especially IG because I follow you on that one more closely. And uh, always cool stories, always cool perspectives coming from Tyson Charter. So like Tyson, honestly, dude. This was awesome. I love, I have never had a coach on before, 200, 200 guests, never one. And so this was like, I'm going to have one. I want to have Tyson Chartier from the NEC, from uh, your fighters. And by the way, I still think that Bedtime Fiori is a phenomenal nickname. And the fact that he doesn't use it still hurts my feelings a little bit. I'm just putting that out there right now. However, right. what a what a phenomenal coach. What a phenomenal group of guys. I've always been such huge fans of the guys you've had under, and like we know, we talk about doing things the right way. I've just always seen the New England cartel doing things the right way with the work ethic, with the attitudes, with uh, how they treat fans. I mean, we're just across the board. So I just want to give you your flowers on that. I know a big part of that is you because it starts from the top down. And so, dude, I really, really appreciate you coming on. Really going 10 rounds running was just awesome, awesome. And uh, for our 200 episode, I couldn't think of a better guy. So really want to appreciate you that. Thank you very much, Tyson. Uh, thanks for having me on, man. I, sorry we didn't get 10 rounds, but... Got hey, we got enough. <laughs> that was awesome. This is Tyson Chartier, and I just went 10 rounds with Rhino. Tyson, dude, thank you so very much, my man. That was awesome. Really, really cool stuff to hear. It's, it's rare we get to hear that kind of, like, from behind the curtain stuff that you let us know about, and really, really awesome. So thank you very much. And a cool thing about Tyson, too, fam, is, of course, he's got Calvin and Robbins, really high-level guys. But, like, you also see him at the regional shows with his fighters. Um, and he just, you know, he cares about everybody. You can just tell and that really comes through. So really proud to have you on, Tyson. Thanks so much, my guy. All right. Let's go ahead and get a shout-out to our outro and our forum contributors to Bionic D-Dog, to Ashley, the MMA mom, to Sandy Pants, to my homie Tom, to the Filthy Casual, to Jim Asoon, you know, it's always 420, kids. Peace. To my man, the Rage Sweet Potato. To APB, the co-host with the mo-host. You have been just a spectacular co-host week in and week out. You like to be self-deprecating and say you don't know things or you fucked up or whatever it is. You have been just phenomenal. I don't even know how many it's been since you took over the reins. But I don't know you either. Have, I wonder what number I came in on. But you have just been spectacular. And I can't tell you how much you. I love you. It's my pleasure. And I, and I appreciate you. And you are so awesome. And thank you again. All right. To everyone, and again, I usually you know, I list about 20, 30 people, but I just I want to kind of lump everybody in on this one. Everyone who's helped us in any way. Anyone who's listened to us, retweeted us, reposted us, you know, liked it, you know what I mean? Talked about it to a friend, suggested it to somebody, left a comment on Spotify or Apple Podcasts over the years. Like, all of you guys have done a ton to help us grow into what we are and what we are going to be. So we really, really appreciate you. Of course, to the feature player, Drea, our social media director, an amazing friend. I love you, Drea. To my man, D. Reigns, the best engineer in the biz. I love you, D. Reigns. To my man who this week, Came back into the fray and hooked us up. Dave Fretz, at Dave Fretz, both on Twitter and Dave Fretz on Instagram. <clears throat> I've often called him the Einstein of graphic design. Trademark combat sports with Rhino. And <laughs> he, uh, he had our poster this week. We really appreciate it, Dave. Of course, to our newer graphic designer, Jay, at JMMA4, and then at JMMA on Twitter, and then on on, uh, on YouTube. Great stuff, guys. Thank you very much for all that you do. I, I, I've been talking lately about how crazy the world is and stuff, but I just want to keep everything positive on this one. So we're going to say with our, our very typical sign-off, APB, as we all know, love is greater than hate, and we will see you next week. Kane!